Schofield and Company on ESPN Las Vegas and ESPN Sports Reno. Rolling into the middle hour of the show. Reno's in Vegas, ESPN Las Vegas, ESPN Reno. Ari is controlling things here in the Finley Toyota Studios. Adam Hill is here. We're going to start off this hour with the Big 4-4. Battleborn Injury Lawyers presents the Big 4 at 4. Number 4. You know, we had so many crazy stories going on last week. One that got buried and kind of left on the cutting room floor was former UNLV head coach, interim assistant coach, Todd Simon, who's a Good guy, well-regarded by, uh, you know, most people here in Vegas. Went up to Southern Utah University, spent seven years there, built that program into a pretty consistent winner with, what, I think three straight, 21 seasons of late. You had done a feature on him, or at least you talked to him. I know you talked to him at length uh, off. I guess it wouldn't be off the air, but whatever. You talked to him at length. Um, There was a chance that he was going to be leaving. He landed at Bowling Green, which when I saw that, I was like, hmm. Really? Okay. Bowling Green. I'll say he had told me he had told me there are a few Mac schools that he believed he could could turn into a power. Yeah. Do you know where Bowling Green is? Ohio? Yes. Yeah. I always thought it was Kentucky. There's a Bowling Green, Kentucky. I believe that's where Western Kentucky University is. But I like the location when I mapped it. I was like, whoa, this is really close. It's pretty close to Chicago and Detroit. And he's he's a Michigan guy. Not a Detroit guy, but he's a Michigan guy. Okay. Central Michigan. So he's from the conference. Yep. Um, and so he, you know, he's been around the conference. That's where he, that's where he went to school. Makes a lot of sense, and uh, I believe it's a first step toward a Big Ten job. Southern Utah is a challenge. Hidden Cedar City is a really interesting place, and I just saw there was a big hubbub that started in the middle of last week with their commencement speaker, a Jeffrey Holland, who is a former president of BYU and is still, you know, very much a high-ranking figure. In the church. And I guess he's been pretty strong on the anti-gay rhetoric. Like real strong. Talking muskets and fire and friendly fire and scarring and wounds. and So there's a lot of people at Southern Utah who were like, uh, no. Not welcome here. I know there's a petition up. Uh, I think that has over 15,000 signatures. I don't know if it'll make a difference. But I, I wonder, the we'll, we'll be nice and say the uniqueness of Cedar City, if it got to him where he was like, I, I can't do this anymore. Um, yeah, I don't, I don't want to speak for him, but I know he he embraced kind of the small town yeah. culture of it. But I, I think he also understood, um, not to not to this point, but to the level of there's only so much you can do there. No matter how well you recruit, no matter what kind of guys you bring in, there's only a certain. Like, where do you when you bring in players on a visit to Cedar City? It's a nice looking city, but where do you take them on a visit? Or you sign them before they come to town. Okay. You tell them, hey, it's a nice little town. It's great. Sorry, As you're that. talking to them in L.A., yeah. you say, you're going to love it. It's going to be awesome. It's great. Oh, can I come on a visit? Let's just get this. Let's get the letter of intent signed, Yeah. and then we'll go see the town. Right. Just get, that, <laughs> get your signature on paper first. I always feel like, to a lesser extent, that's kind of the Wyoming deal when you're recruiting kids from California and Texas. Uh, and you're they like, had a, they you're had a like, Chicago pipeline for a while. They did. That's right. For basketball, yeah. and you're like, well, you can visit for these two months of the year. Otherwise, it's hard to get here. You don't, you don't say the that The truth part. is, it's cold. You just say, hey, look, our recruiting period is late May to early July. Right. You don't tell them why that's your recruiting period. Yeah. 
So now the cherry on top for uh, Southern Utah. And, they, you know, they're, they're trying to build a, a decent football program. They fed a few players of the NFL, and you got stuff like this going on. It doesn't seem like a very welcoming community if this guy's your, believe, your commencement speaker. Even without Todd Simon, who's not coaching this tournament, I believe they advanced in the CBI again today. Number three. Did you see the Kansas State inbounds play? Trying to get it to their little guy, Noel. I've never seen that before. Can you describe this? Well, I don't think I don't think you're supposed to say little guy. He's a little guy. I'm a little guy. Ari's a little guy. I don't think you're supposed to say that. Why? That's why, that's why Coach Cal is in so much trouble. He's he's five foot eight. So that's why Coach Cal is in so much trouble. Who's Coach Cal? Cal Perry. What did he do? Called him little guy. And then what happened? People are outraged. Really? Yeah. Stop. You're yeah. making this up. No. I thought you were referencing. I thought you were trying to tell no, me. No, 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 no. Usually I'm a smartass and, and <laughs> slip things in there, try to be subtle. But no, I have no idea. He's, anyone who's 5'11 or smaller playing major college basketball is a little guy. We've seen some along the lines of that, that little guy killed us. What? Do you have to mention his name? I, I said his name first. Is that disrespectful? Does they call him a little guy? Apparently it is. People are, people are big I, mad on the internet. I, I had no idea. But, yeah, to get the ball in, they they lined up, uh, what, was it, was it an inbounds? person and then three players on the baseline out of bounds yeah and guess a, what it was a football right? formation yeah so basically, basically spread offense the two in the middle run out and almost look to block like an offensive line the defenders and then little guy noel slips right behind him and it, you basically have you have blocking like football blocking when That's i saw right. it i was like this is awesome why don't teams do this all the time against well, the press i would say the issue is and if you're ready for it it's different but yeah. because they're caught off guard it's tough if you're ready for it as a defender, you just stand there and let them run you over, and it's a foul. What the defenders did is like backed up and like, "Whoa, what is this?" Right, freaked out. Not not uh, not even a critique a critique of them. They weren't ready for like, wait, why are these guys running right at us? So they kind of backed away and let let Noel come in and slip behind them. Uh, but yeah, it's a great play. It's a very smart play, and uh, well designed. And I think, as I said, one that if you have that play regularly. You're probably going to get called with a bunch of moving screens, but because they weren't prepared for it, uh, they were kind of caught off guard by it. On that inbounds play in the final minute when a bunch of guys were on the line, like, can you walk us through that? No, because then the other team will know next time we have to use it. <laughs> but we, like, stole it from somebody else, and so we actually call it Mahomes for um, Patrick Mahomes, the quarterback for the Super Bowl champion, uh, Kansas City Chiefs. There you go. I like that. I like that play. I also like Jerome Tang, who's in his first year of coaching. He was on the Baylor staff for 19 years. He's 56. He clearly can coach because Kansas State is good, and they acted like the more experienced adult team in taking out Kentucky. And I love this angle here. Someone asked him about, you know, beating a program like Kentucky. How much of a statement is this for you and your program first year to beat a program like Kentucky and you're going to New York to play in the Sweet 16? Well, you know, we have a program that's rich in tradition also. All those old dudes that played for Kentucky, they ain't coming back, right? Like, so, I mean, uh, tradition does not help you if you don't get out there on the All right. So, I, I, so he mentioned, I, I don't know, if, I think it got cut off. He mentioned having dudes. Yeah. He's like, you dudes. need dudes. dudes and we had guys. more dudes. Yeah. We had more dudes. Yeah. Uh, and I was, I was going to point out the uh, Coach Cal called him a little kid. The little kid. A little kid, okay. Uh, Dream Dowling, assistant coach for Kansas State, not happy. 
He said, yo, Coach Cal, you've done this for a long time and you're one of the best on the mic. Never refer to a great player as a little kid. Put some respect on his name. You know he could play for you too. Say his name. Maybe he forgot it. <laughs> He's old. It's, it's it's become a big thing. I forget names all the time. I know, but I'm saying it's I'm just saying it's become a big thing. I had no thing. idea it became a big yes, thing. Yes. Really? Yeah. They're very, they're very sassy. At Kansas State. <laughs> they are. I like it. Coach on uh, head coach on down. They're and they're having a great season. I don't know. Oh, they, they deserve should, it. They're legit. I don't think they should be getting caught up in this. No. Just let this go. But yeah, they're uh, they're fired up. Number two. Wait, are we really sitting here on Monday after going through that whole interview with Pat McAfee and AJ Hawk and Aaron Rodgers and Rodgers going back to two Fridays ago telling the Jets that he intended to play for them. Did, did I miss something today or over the weekend? Is this still not done? It's not. What's the deal here? Uh, I How saw long it, is this going to take? So now, saw, now both sides are digging their heels in. I saw reports today that said it could take well into the summer. So we're going to play a game of chicken, and then one of them figures the other one is going to cave. Yeah. But it's why we, we discussed this. I do think the pressure is on the Jets. At some point, if you know you're going to do it, because yeah. I think that's what you're suggesting, and I think that's what most people assume, it's going to happen at some point. Right. It's a game of chicken. Who's going to give? Well, the problem for the Packers is they've already moved on. They're already preparing to start somebody else. The Jets have a quarterback that they want to get in and start working with their team, and they can't. So the pressure is on the Jets. Uh, here's a dude who hosts on ESPN Radio in Madison, Wisconsin, talking about the Packers moving on from Rodgers and uh, kind of getting on Rodgers pretty strong. What's your Aaron Rodgers' reaction? Bye. Uh, Aaron Rodgers has told us for the last three off-seasons that he didn't want to be a Green Bay Packer with his actions. Three off-seasons of either asking to be traded or dragging out contract negotiations to this off-season, going into a, a darkness retreat and keeping everyone literally and figuratively in the dark on what his plans are. The Packers basically said, mess around and find out, Aaron. Your actions, as far as not being committed to this team, no longer can be justified with your play. I like it. Mess around and find out. It's All not, right. It's not the term. Yeah, exactly. Good luck with that six-win Packers team. See how happy you're going to be. This all could have been avoided with more communication over time. I know Rodgers is a giant pain in the ass. Great guy, though. What, I mean, what, communi what communication? I, like, I, I feel like his communication to them was, I'll tell you when I'm ready. But he's pointed out multiple times that he feels like they don't respect him and they don't talk to him about personnel moves. And he's also pointed out he doesn't like the way they've treated fellow uh, you know, former teammates in terms of respect. So they could have done a better job with that. And this doesn't have to end you know, like Jabba the Bull and Jordan and breaking things up. Well, I mean, at this point, it kind of does. Well, at this point, yes, yeah. but a lot led up to this. Sure, it, it did. And, and yeah, I think the, you know, he... I, I would venture to say that this has been going on a lot longer than the last two or three years. Yes, for sure. And I think the the Packers' move was to if they're if you're going to string us along every year and we're going to do it behind the scenes and right here's what we're doing we're going to get a guy we're ready right so keep doing what you're going to do and we love you and you're, it's great but keep doing it because we're going to be ready for it. Number one. Well, we'll see how it works out. Hopefully the Jets walk. Zach Wilson is the quarterback. They win four games, and Aaron Rodgers retires, and they get nothing for him. How about that? A lot of talk last week with the Raiders about chemistry, yeah. right? And we'll have more on 
Darren Waller in that whole trade because uh, someone had some pretty interesting things to say about Waller and maybe what the Raiders were thinking. But, you know, I kind of forgot about this one when I saw the transaction. They got a new long snapper. Yeah. Oh, look at you. Sure did. Look at you. Sure did. Look at you. You seem well, like you're down in the dumps over this. As as a honorary part of the special teams room, Steve, I'm not, I'm not thrilled. Well, we had quite the conversation with your guy, the punter, right? Big guy. You're not gonna not gonna react on the uh, the Noel point now. He has a name. Uh, he has a name. Yeah, but that that room does have uh, an impact from a chemistry standpoint on the rest of the team, and so they decided to move on from Trent Sieg. Okay. Could bringing in a new long snapper actually hurt chemistry on the team? I mean, it can't help. It's, look, it's I, a long snapper. Who cares? Sure. So oh, why? I'm, so I'm why, speaking as if I'm Raider Nation. I know it matters. So why is is there any debate that the special teams for the Raiders is the strength of the team, the best unit? We almost never talk about it. Because, because they make every friggin' kick, and the punts are ridiculous. Of course. So why change that? Right? There's no low snaps. There's no snaps going over. He committed four penalties last year, which is second in the league. That's a lot. Okay. But isn't that worth a stable unit that is the only thing you don't have to worry about? Look at you. You you really are unofficially, officially part of the special teams room. You're upset. Yes, this is, it's a preposterous decision. <laughs> it's Cofield and Company on ESPN Las Vegas and ESPN Sports Reno. So it's been a really interesting Raiders offseason. Patriot West being set up with Jimmy G as the quarterback and then Jacoby Myers, who I kept saying last last uh, week he had 96 catches. He had 67 catches last year, so it's like 67 for a little over 800. It's a pretty good price for that productivity. What I mean is it's a pretty high price for that productivity. Add Phil Dorsett. Okay. And I had thrown it out last week, Adam. Will the locker room have a feel of, hey, am I one of Josh's guys? Because I've been here for longer than these new guys. Like, is there a chance the people in the locker room are looking, looking around and go, wait, Waller got traded? I mean, wasn't it Josh Jacobs who didn't he post on Twitter? Like, sad. Just sad. Something like that. Sad with a curse. Sad. And then, and then he tweeted out this had nothing to do with the curse. Right, right. Which is not – there's no way that's believable. <laughs> But, you, you, I mean, any any workplace, if you get a new boss in and over the course of a couple of seasons, a lot of your coworkers go bye-bye, you are looking around going, okay, Jimmy G is one of his guys, Jacoby Myers is one of his guys, Dorsett's one of his guys. Am I? Well. So you wonder what the – You're now referring to, like, three people, by the way. How many players in that locker room were there? I know. There, it's like five. Well, but Jacobs is a pretty important one. Sure. But, I mean, you, you're, if you're looking around for other guys no, that have right. been there a while and you're saying, yeah. hey, are we are we part of this team? Are we one of his guys? Well, hey, we can have a very small conversation in a booth at a restaurant of all the guys that were there. 
Which on the flip side, for those who kind of understand what was going to happen, and I think we both did, Josh McDaniels was brought in to change things in terms of not being emotional when it came to keeping the roster together. Mark Davis said it. You're bringing in Patriots, guys. There isn't a whole lot of loyalty, and if there is, they're going to want their guys. Sure. And that's what they started to line up here, and a lot of Raiders fans are peeved. And we were just talking about something that most people are going to look at and go, why does it matter? But they changed the long snapper, and you were saying, hey, it's pretty cohesive unit in the special teams room. As a fan, you never have to think about Carlson or Cole, and you rarely thought about C unless he got penalized. So why the change? And, you, and you know, and does, does, does and, that have a ripple effect? And Carlson and Cole are among the best, if not the best, at their position in the entire league. And a big part of that is because of Trent Seek. Now, and you, and you just took away their guy. I'm sure that you know they're going to have they're going to be just fine at lo- yeah. like it's fine. Yeah. But where's their mind? Where's their men- mental state going to be? Right. They're taking. They, they've they've got this cover level, and all of a sudden, like, yeah, he's out. And I wonder what players around the rest of the league think when they look at the Waller move as an example, because it's also been kind of misreported as to why he got moved. You know, meanwhile, I mean, the big galoot has a good rep. I mean, you got to live, you know, near Detroit during the season, which isn't that bad. You get a lot of bang for your buck. Um, Royal Oak's still nice, isn't it? Sure. Okay. But Dan Campbell's bringing in guys left and right. Like, people want to sign up to play for the Lions. Yeah. <laughs> the culture is changing. You can live in Windsor, too. That's nice. I didn't love Windsor that much. I love it. Just seemed cold and dank to me. It's great. <laughs> What's well, cold? Well, we did our we did a show over there at, at at a place called Cheetah. Okay. I think we were the only ones. I don't even remember when that Super Bowl was. Now, how long ago was that? Was that 2007? Yeah, I was gonna say 15 God, years. God, we've probably. been doing this too long. I don't know how they have us around here anymore. Yeah, we went across the border because we're like Radio Row. No, no, we're gonna be the only show at the Detroit Super Bowl that goes and does a show at a strip club. Why wouldn't you? Yeah. It's a good place. The Canadian one. Good that. Good place. Good memories. Good memories. If someone rang up a massive bill and then expected expected us to to expense it. It wasn't me. It wasn't you. Uh <laughs> I spent my nineteenth birthday in Windsor. Oh, is that right? Of course. Oh, look at you. Of course. So Detroit's humming along here, right? Then they just get a CJ GJ. Yep. Right? From the Eagles. For All right. A very, very good deal. And you remember Michael Parsons about a month ago was you know, ripping on – well, Jalen Ramsey didn't land there, but he was like, why would Jalen Ramsey ever go to Detroit? Basically, Detroit sucks. Yeah. No one wants to go there. Now okay. everybody's going. All right. I wonder what the over-under win totals are going to be in terms of how close the Cowboys and Lions are going to be. Hmm. Probably pretty close. Closer than Michael Parsons would like. But he would say he gets to live in Dallas, so he yeah. – he, he probably thinks that that difference is worth three or four wins, which maybe it is. Um, I noticed last week, back to the Raiders and chemistry and McDaniel's image around the league, uh, Paul Gutierrez from ESPN.com had put up a quote from Spillane, who's coming over at linebacker from the Steelers. Quote, in this guy, or excuse me, in this business, guys aren't going to follow you if you're fake. Shots fired? I don't know. I will say that is there someone fake on the Raiders? Not anymore. I, I would say that that uh, Jimmy G also used that phrase <laughs> inauthentic and fake several times. 
Oh, okay. Yeah. Oh, he did? Yeah. Maybe that's coincidence. I don't know. Oh, wow. Okay. I didn't think I didn't think the tweet was posted for that reason. Okay. Boy, a lot of people are doing a lot of talking. Oh, that's why Paul posted it. Because of the car? Yes, of course. Okay. okay. Well, something happened with Darren Waller. We know that. He got moved. But this was brewing for a while. It wasn't just because, as Kelsey Plum put it, he wasn't invited to the <laughs> wedding. Josh McDaniels wasn't invited to the wedding, so he got mad and traded him. That's not even – it's just silly. Sure. But a lot of people bought into it. Uh, here's Mike Lombardi on his show with Vison giving his take. Not sure what the source of this is. His take – what? Uh, his take on Darren Waller. To me, this is about durability. This is about I'm getting ready to pay you $11 million. We redid your contract, you know, and on the bye week, you know, instead of rehabbing, you went home for four days and it cured the fines, you know. It's on the bye week, you went home and, you know, and just didn't even talk to anybody. Just went home and said, left a message, say, hey, find me. I don't care. I'm going to Southern California. I got to see kids. Okay, go ahead. You know, but th- does that tell you as a coach you want to win? Okay. Well, Lombardi was a longtime personnel guy in the National Football League. He's a no-nonsense guy like Belichick, like Josh McDaniels, like Dave Ziegler, like Mick Lombardi. Isn't the word accrued, not accured? I thought it was incurred. I think it could be incurred or accrued. We can't play it again, but I know he had a little trouble on that one. Accured. Well, tough time. Tough time. All right. So did any of that sound off to you that – the coaching staff and management got turned off by Waller and what he was doing during his rehab? Uh, no. And by the way, let's also go back and say Derek Carr said this. Derek Carr came out and said it last year. Some guys aren't willing. I don't want to get it incorrect, but yeah. he talked about putting stuff in their bodies. Yeah. To do Which it. essentially. To do what was necessary to get back on the field. Yeah. And he, he absolutely was talking about Darren Waller. That's that's where a lot of the source of the frustration between him and the, and Waller and the team started. That was out there. But do you think management, even going back to uh, his – the Aces game attendance during a preseason game, seeing him down at a baseball game, at a Padres game, I thought that was a little bit weird. Well, you go back and look at the date of that game, October 14th. That was the Raiders' bye week. That's where, that's what he did. So that's what he was with Kelsey. That's what Lombardi was talking about. It would appear so. And it wasn't not like he hit it. No, he didn't it at all. On, they were it was posted it the, right on Instagram, and the Padres posted it. I, oh, that's a good point. Yeah. Him, I, him I, and Kelsey I remember were, looking at that, and I'm like, wow. I wonder what the team thinks of that. Because uh, you know, maybe other guys did go and travel and do some stuff. I don't know. I don't. You have inside knowledge on that? Like the entire team didn't go anywhere. Well, it's just if you're if you're rehabbing. In his case, right. If you're rehabbing, it didn't look great. And trying to get back and. Uh, and I'll say, like, I know the Padres posted it because while all of us knew that they were together, they were very careful about not posting things together. But the Padres posted point. them yeah. together uh, on that on that night, which was a playoff game against the Dodgers. Um, so, yeah, I mean, that that uh, that's not out of left field, to use the baseball term. That's that's true that, that they were together during the bye week at a Padres game like that. That happened. And I, I think that was part of it. And Derek Carr called that out and it became a thing in the locker room. That is that is absolutely true. For sure. So, I mean, I think there's a lot of, you know, moving pieces of what happened exactly behind the scenes between Waller and – and by the way, the wedding thing, we've talked about this. 
is part of it. I think it's more symptom than cause. Right. But if you're alienated from the locker room and you're not a part of it and you're kind of doing what you want to do, that would lead to you scheduling your wedding on the same day as your teammate's wedding. Like that's those things go hand in hand. Was Waller always like this? Or was there a recent change with Darren Waller? I do think I think that Darren is different. But, but I gotta laugh, by the way. We have a we rebuilt our studio, so we're a lot further away from Ari than we have been in the past. And in the past I was like right on top of him, like five feet away from him. Every time we have a long pause, and that was that was a design pause about has Waller changed. Ari's typing, he's behind a bunch of screens, you just see his eyes look up, he's like, Are they gonna break? <laughs> Did I miss something? Now it's not time to go to break it. That was a very dramatic pause, but intentional. So my belief on Darren, and I've I've you know said this a couple of times, but I think that he has always been different. And he has always, and this I I clarify by saying this is not a criticism of him. Darren very much prioritizes his mental health, his mental well-being, as he 100% should. And in a team setting, oftentimes individual happiness or individual contentment or individual mental health conflicts with the team. 766-1400 is a number called Battleborn Injury Lawyers. They bring this hour to you in uh, Reno and Vegas and Henderson and North Las Vegas every day. Good call there by uh, Latino Radio Voice of the Raiders. Harry Ruiz, always like to say it slow. John Lovett, involved in that call. And, of course, Harry is calling the Viper games for Lotus Broadcasting. Lovett, a Princeton guy. Ugh. Hmm. Maybe we need to get him on this week. Ugh. Are you really that mad? Yeah. This should be Yale. Yale's a better team. It wouldn't have been. They're a better team. No, they, they would have had a better seed, so they probably wouldn't have been. But You want to explain Yale this whole thing from the beginning? The, the way the Ivy works, Yale was the better team in the Ivy. Yale won the Ivy League regular season, but because the tournament is determined before the year, the tournament was in Princeton, and so Yale had to play on the road in the championship game against Princeton. Princeton gets in instead of Yale, and uh, now they get to make the run, which is garbage because Yale is a better team. Of all... Of all the conferences that could afford to kind of make the tournament or place the tournament on neutral sites, at least, like, at least in the area, yeah, that league could do it. You could also have moved the championship game. It's like move it from Princeton to Penn. If Yale is playing Princeton in the final, move it to Penn. Well, they're not going to do that. Although Penn but- also had to play on the road against Princeton in the semi, and they had the game won the entire way. It's Ivy League basketball, so I get it, but – it's frustrating. Well, I mean, what's there's nothing to be embarrassed about. They, they, they made the Sweet 16. We should be sitting here talking about it. Well, they made it because, because, because they got to play at by, home. By the way, it's been pretty consistent in terms of this, sending players to other conferences like Power 5 conferences. There's been some really good transfers. Yeah. I'm, now I'm blanking on who's the kid who transferred from uh, Princeton who went to Michigan and then like racked up his knee early Destroyed in the season. Well, don't, I mean, don't forget Desmond Cambridge also came from the Ivy and yep. went to Reno and then went down to Arizona State. So wasn't I mean, uh, wasn't your guy uh little guy? Wasn't that Mike Smith a couple <laughs> years ago in Michigan? Yes, yes. 
I'm sorry. I'm not going to stop using little guy. Little I kid. mentioned the guy. Little name. kid. Okay, it's the kid. I guess maybe that's the yeah. part. Maybe. Oh, okay. All right. But you think? So Yale all year was better than Princeton, and the fact no, that Princeton was, was in the there Sweet was a, Sixteen. There's a couple of down weeks in the middle of the year, but by the end of the year, yeah, Yale won the Ivy League. Out, they won the regular season. They were the one seed in the tournament, but had to play on the road against two seed Princeton in the final. Princeton gets to go to the tournament, and now this should be Yale. It's very frustrating. I know it is. I knew. And by the way, I knew as I was I, watching it, I'm it like, probably he's going to be been, livid that they beat Yale it probably, in the final, and now they're in the Sweet 16. It probably would have been the same seed because even though Yale's better, they, it was it's a Sunday final, selection Sunday final. So I think they just slot Ivy League champion into wherever. So it probably would have been Yale with the same path. So how about those Vipers? Perez had a good game. They made some key defensive plays. It wasn't like the defense <laughs> shut down they, Orlando. Orlando was very sloppy as well. The Vipers made a mess of the final two it was, I just kept hearing – I think it was Matt Barry on the call, and I just – I was watching some highlights, and he just kept saying over and over again, like, what are they doing? <laughs> didn't make any sense. What is this move? For those that didn't see it, the uh, Vipers, again, they, they found a way to win, finally. Uh, very, very exciting that they got their first win. I know they were happy. Uh, but even after the game, Rod Woodson said it's only a half smile that he has because it was a mess of a game where they are they they kept going back and forth, but they were up they're up for the most part, up three with just over a minute left, and they threw the ball on second down for I still don't that, know. That what was when Matt Barry's like, <laughs> What I still don't know what reason are they doing? It, 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 was, uh, it was a disaster. We can continue on this in a couple minutes. Let's do a giveaway right now. We have uh, Red Hot Chili Peppers coming to town April 1st. That's a Saturday at the Owl. Two tickets. Ticketmaster.com is where you can grab the tickets. But Ari's got two tickets right now for Red Hot Chili Peppers. 364-1100-364-1100. Caller 7. Caller 7. Tickets to go see Red Hot Chili Peppers at the Owl. It's Cofield and Company's Eye on Sports Betting with John Von Tobel. Ari's here, steering the ship, Cofield, Adam Hill. John Von Tobel is in, who is very much in our bracket contest and competition. In the mix, he's got three of the final four teams. That's good, John. I guess not. He seems disappointed. He's so furious, he just hung up. He's just giving us a silent treatment. I get it. There he is. What's, Von, what's up, Von Tobel? Uh, not much. New studio struggles. It happens. So I was just mentioning you still have in our bracket contest. You still have three of the four Final Four teams. How'd you do overall uh, betting wise this uh, weekend with the last four days of college basketball betting? So far, I actually hit. I hit a uh, a a real betting food bet middle. Food sounds, bet. Yeah, uh, Willie. Uh, because of uh, his ties to the Strother family, wanted to lay 15 with Gonzaga against Grand Canyon. And okay. and then I – so I bet a dinner on Grand Canyon, and then I I tried to do a middle between 10 and 14 points, and somehow Grand Canyon came back from 20 right. down with like two minutes yeah. left to lose by 12. Some, some, oh, did that, did some that kill of us, you guys too? Yeah, some of us uh, had Gonzaga second half, Steve. Uh, right, so that was – at least we got a push on that one. Yeah. Uh, but, yeah, some of us were watching that at the same table and uh, got that faithful push on that one, which is a little annoying. You know, right. I, I, like, screw sportsmanship, all right? right. If you're going to like, go. <laughs> Yam on them until the clock is done. They're going to keep trying. Don't dribble the ball out. Like, let's go. Yeah. Yeah, I had Gonzaga 
second or down the stretch in game minus nine and a half. So like I said, I was trying for a, a ten yep. to fourteen point loss. Also, don't suggest that we were at the same table on Friday night, John, because that would give away who your picture, <laughs> what the food picture was of. Oh, what was it? I didn't see this. What was it? So we, uh, where we were yeah, at, right. uh, there was you could order nachos and you had a there was like a condiment bar where you could put your, some of your own stuff on there, which I know you love. And there was a giant, it. like a giant, I would say a barrel of sliced black olives. Oh, no, I didn't see this picture. Happens to be my what favorite food. What were you doing? Food. Happens to be my favorite food. I didn't even food. know what that was. It's my favorite food on earth. It looked black like olives. it looked like that St. Louis pizza with olives on it. Yeah. I, yeah. I would have had the whole bucket. And John took a picture of it, as did some other people. I saw that. And threw it up on social media and didn't say who it was. I'll freely admit it was me. I, well, love I knew it was you olives. with all the olives. I, mean, I, love, I love black I, olives. I get that inside joke. Yeah, and, and, and by the way, as Adam mentioned, it was a full barrel of black olives because nobody was going near them because nobody likes black olives. That's not. I do. Please, let's let's not relive one of the darkest moments in the history of this. It show. happened. It happened at the table. Let's not. No one scream, please. <laughs> it happened at the table, and I think everybody agreed I was right. <laughs> Even Ari in the background is like, "Nope," crossing it out. Uh, let's start looking ahead, and we can look back while we're looking ahead. Kansas State and Michigan State. What do you guys want to do with this game, John? Man, I don't know about you guys, but I, it's weird because I was kind of – so the first half, or like the first half of the first half, I was really impressed with Michigan State, and then I was more impressed with them in the, the second half of the second half. Like, I thought it was a pretty well-played game for the Spartans in that game against Marquette. And it's weird because, like, you get this sense that Michigan State, I mean, like that they were maybe like an underperforming team throughout the regular season. Like to have – to match up with a two-seed, that a lot of people thought was going to make a lot of noise in this tournament and only be catching, what, three points by the time that thing closed, maybe three and a half, and kind of win that thing wire to wire, I, I was really impressed with Michigan State. Like, this is a team that I think should be playing a little bit better. I think they've got a little bit of a size advantage in the backcourt as well against Kansas State. Like, I agree with the market moving the way it is. Like, I know it's not a big move, but open one, it's up to two. I, I'm kind of in on this Michigan State team the more I watch them play in this tournament. What can we learn, if anything, just about – handicapping in general, I guess, in college basketball, and especially when it comes to really good coaches uh, like a Tom Izzo, where I watched, you know, four or five of the first, you know, you know, six, seven games of the season of Michigan State and said, man, this team is going to compete for the Final Four. This is one of the best teams in the country. They are unbelievable. And then I completely gave up on them midway mm -hmm. through the season and said, they suck. But now they're putting it together. Like, can we learn anything from, hey, if a team looks like they can put it together, at some point they can put it together. I mean, I think so, right? And, the, like, this Michigan State team's a really good example of it. I mean, heck, can we say, Adam, that Gonzaga's a good example of that, right? Like, yeah. they weren't covering numbers early on. They were pretty overvalued. And then all of a sudden, they win their final nine games of the regular season, and we'll call postseason, right, going into the conference tournament. They win that thing going away. And then they come into this tournament, and, you know, off to a slow start in the first half against Grand Canyon. That's fine. You win in the second half handedly. You get off to a rough start from a shooting perspective in the first half against TCU. I thought they looked night and day like shoulders above better like than TCU in that second half and ultimately ran away with that one and should have covered, I'll say. Uh, but I think to your overall point, like I, I say yes. like Maybe on a possession-to-possession -possession deal, that's not really going to have a massive effect. But I think just making sure these teams perform better and making sure that they start to hit their stride at the right time of the season, I think that really is worth something. And you can make the argument, too, that one of the guys that we're going to see out here, Eric Musselman, is one of those dudes, too. Good lead into that one. First game here on Thursday, UConn's three and a half against Arkansas. Man, I, I so I I don't know what I wanted to make my, like of this UConn team so far, and I like I come away with them. I like I don't even know if I have like a fair sample size of what I've seen. Right, like 
you know, you go to the Iona game, and, you know, Adam and I were watching that game together, and we, we saw a lot of similar games like this where you get the lower-seeded team who puts forth a really good effort in the first half because they're jazzed up and ready to go. Then in the second half, they come away and they really distance themselves. They handled a really good St. Mary's team, too. So I've been pretty impressed with UConn, and I like their size down low. Like, I, I think that's a really big advantage. But I, I like the versatility of Arkansas, man. Like, there's, a, there's actually there's NBA talent on this squad. They're switchable. They're super athletic. They're springy. They can get up and down the floor when they want. And they've got a really good coach at the helm that I think is you know pushing all the right buttons. And no, we know he can push all the right buttons. I this is again one of those where I haven't bet this yet. It came off of four. I still think three and a half is playable. We want to see what that's going to happen. But I would agree with the initial sense of the market right now that the direction to go here is Arkansas, not Connecticut. Adam, are you taking FAU plus five and a half against Tennessee? Yeah, get a, you got to ride the. It's Owl Gang. Let's go. Who who? Oh God, John. <laughs> Oh, what are you doing? What are you doing? By the way, I really enjoyed the beginning of the Tennessee game, and I actually was tweeting a little bit how Tennessee had one of their bigs come out and just freaking try to smash Filipowski. I don't think he meant to bust open his face underneath oh, his left eye, but man, he was just just ramming that kid. Uh, Tennessee got by, and they got by pretty easily in the second half. So, what happens here? Yeah, I mean, I don't know about you guys. Like, I, I so Fort Atlantic is a team that, like, I was amazed the market was all in as much as it was. <laughs> you know, by the time it got to 16, I took a piece of it because I was like, all right, like this is it's getting a little nuts. And then we know what happens. They're kind of back and forth, fairly digging in the whole way. They stretch it out, and they, and they end up winning comfortably. Like, I, I kind of – look, as somebody who took his shot against Tennessee from, like, a second-half money line standpoint on Duke, I was really impressed with what Rick Barnes and this team did. Like, they, they their shot selection at times I think is a little iffy. I think they are a little bit more jump shot oriented. Adam speaks this a little bit more. So they get a little jump shot oriented. So that means that the shots aren't falling, then the offense can get kind of cold. But like outside of pulling away from Memphis and winning that game in tight fashion, I haven't been overly impressed for Atlantic. I know they're a really good squad, so I don't want to sell them short. But I like I kind of like what Tennessee brought to the table in that Duke game, and I, I'm kind of hypnotized by it. Like I, I think the market's right here. I, I think we're up to five and a half now for opening four and a half. I think that's the right move here. What a hater. Uh... No, I look, I think the issue with Tennessee, and you, you kind of hit on it, is the shot selection at times, and they made some bad shots in that game. Right. So yep. I, I don't want to I, – I did the same thing. I went against them. I took Duke, and you watch and say, all right, look, if Tennessee makes those shots, you're not going to beat them. But how often are they going to make those shots? It hasn't happened that often throughout the season. And I, I think if you play that game again, they miss a bunch of those shots. They look totally different, and the outcome is different. So I also don't want to buy too fully in to Tennessee. But you do have to be aware that, hey, if they if they make those shots, they're going to be really tough to beat for anybody. I just don't know how often that can happen. So I'm, I'm skeptical to go either way on this Tennessee team for the next couple of games because I just don't know how to handicap their shooting. Agreed. Yeah. Uh -oh. Okay. Yeah, there right. he is. <laughs> oh, sorry. Yeah. I, I thought you were moving on, so no, I didn't no, know. What we, we will. I, we will. Uh, UCLA and Gonzaga too. UCLA favorite. So I'm I'm waiting to see how high this goes, and I'm going to bet Gonzaga on the money line. Like I I, I like this team, man. I, I do. They they were my pick to win the the title in all the brackets that I did, including the LV Sports Network one. Uh, they come in a really good form. Like I I just I like everything they they play with, man. And when you look at like. I thought that second half was much more representative against TCU of the team that I expected and why I bet them uh, as opposed to what we saw in that first half. And I think a big part of what that first half was was missing some open looks. Like in that second half, when they got out in transition and they were running and they were finding their lanes and they were moving the ball around, you, you saw exactly how good this Gonzaga team could be. And I think as UCLA continues to suffer from some of these injuries, right, and continue to get a little bit thinner as the days go along, I think they're going to be forced out of their comfort zone here. I think they're going to be forced to get up and down the floor. I think they're going to be forced 
to speed it up a little bit more. Gonzaga's really good at forcing you to do that. I like this Gonzaga team, so I can understand why the market is in on UCLA. You know, from talking to a lot of betters coming into the tournament, it's a highly respected uh, program, at least this season, when it comes to how highly they're power rated. But I'm just going to wait, Steve, and see how high this money line gets, and I'm going to take a plus price with the Zags, whatever it's going to get to. John Von Tobel, our uh, gambling insider on Mondays for VSN. I'm with you. I I work, man. The free throw shooting scared me a little bit yesterday. Yeah, like that, no, that's going to come together. I agree. Some questionable turnovers from uh, from our guy Julian Strother as well, which I, there was times <laughs> down the stretch where I, I worried what he was doing, and obviously the one big one that cost them the uh, the spread essentially was when he just gave it away under the basket. But there was more than that. And by the way, if you go back and look, and I know people made a big deal in some in some of the blogs, he traveled on the play when they finally took the lead in the second half. He traveled before he threw that pass, and they didn't call it. They got very fortunate. That could have been a huge swing in the game. Hey, uh, but you know what? That's uh, that's water on the bridge, Adam. We're here. You know what I mean? I like to focus on the future. Uh, Friday's games, I don't know that San Diego State can hang with Alabama. I'm sure they'll try to turn it into a rock fight. I don't know if they'll be able to do that to the Crimson Tide. So I think the Aztecs are going to have to score. I'm not sure they can. Yeah, that's the interesting part about this, Steve. So, like, I think the way to do this, and which, this has been fascinating kind of track so far, so this thing opens up 137, right, or thereabouts. It actually got down to, like, 136 and then some spots 135 and a half, and then that buyback came, and now we're up to, like, 137 at a couple of spots, including, you know, respected spots like Circa, which are good indications of where some respected money comes in, right? So, like, I, I think, Steve, the way to do it, because I'm kind of tempted to bet San Diego State, but instead of doing that, I want to bet this under the total, right, because I think that correlates a little bit more to their side. And you still get the outcome where if the Aztecs don't find enough offense, which is certainly plausible, right, if Bradley goes cold and they don't really have anything else in terms of an outlook scoring, this could still be a game that goes under because they just don't do their part offensively. So I think you have multiple ways to kind of get this thing under the total. I'm really curious to see how high this gets because, like I said, it opened 137, got to that 135 and a half range, and now now we're back to 137, 137 and a half. So if it continues to climb, it's going to be a good candidate to go under the total. But I think that's kind of the way you like semi back San Diego State to a certain extent, while also finding multiple ways to get home. Is there a team you're rooting for? Put aside betting interest. Is there a story you're rooting for to do well the rest of the way? Uh, I mean, kind of. I think I, I think I'm kind of rooting for Gonzaga a little bit. Like it's just. Only because you like we have these stupid conversations, right? I know last year I got into it with somebody on Twitter where it was like, Gonzaga needs to play at a better conference. Like they've been to like twenty million straight Sweet Sixteen, and they've been to multiple national championship games. Like no program can say that. We need to stop with the stupid nonsense that they need to play in a better conference. And so now, if they can kind of finally make this run to win a title that we've all expected them to in a year where the expectations were kind of down, right? Had especially heading into like the last two weeks, three weeks of the season, I think that's what I'm kind of been rooting for a little bit here and. I guess I can't. Nah, never mind. Like part of me, I guess, was rooting for San Diego State to get the whole Mountain West thing going, but they already got two wins, so you can get him out of here. John, the answer is Rodney Terry because they don't want to hire him at Texas, yeah. and if they win a title and they still don't hire him, that would be the greatest story ever. Yeah, you know what? And Adam, that was going to be one of my answers too, uh, and especially Rodney Terry, the center of one of my favorite stories ever. What was the uh, the random broken nose that he showed up with? That he had a bad dream about a snake and <laughs> fell out of his bed, <laughs> hit it on a bedside table. Uh, no, I, I would agree with that. And also, I'd say real quick too, I think Miami's a pretty good story too. I, I like that team a lot. I like their upside offensively, and I think the market's been sleeping on them the first two rounds. John, we appreciate it. Thank you, my friend. Good to talk to you guys. Thank you. And we'll see John later in the week out at the West Regional. He'll be doing one of the shows towards the end of the week. VEASAN is where you can hear. John, you can find him on Twitter, at me, JVT. This hour is brought to you by Battleborn Injury Lawyers. Call from anywhere in the state of Nevada, 766-1400.